Welcome to Stuff We Love Podcast. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Stuff We Love Podcast. Hope you all are doing well. I'm your host for the evening, Scott, and I'm happy and honored to be joined again by my good friend, Dan. Dan, how are you doing tonight? Doing all right, Scott. How are you? I'm doing well. And if you're listening and you're thinking to yourself, Scott and Dan are on a podcast together, what are they going to be talking about? You know it's going to be music, and you know it's going to be Beatles. <laughs> so <laughs> this is another one of our uh, Beatles series episodes, and uh, I'm really excited for tonight because what we're going to be talking about here is a overview of the first four albums released individually by each member of the Beatles. Uh, and that includes Ringo Starr's album, Sentimental Journey, Paul McCartney's album, McCartney, George Harrison's album, All Things Must Pass, and John Lennon's album, Plastic Ono Band. And I'm really excited to get into this. This is going to be a lot of fun because we've spent a good amount of time talking about the Beatles as a group. And we've done a little talk about solo Beatles, like the Flaming Pie archive release and McCartney 3. But uh, we're really getting into the solo Beatles territory tonight, which makes me happy. And before we get to that discussion, Dan, let me ask you, first off, how you hold it up in these crazy times? And what have you been listening to recently, music-wise? Um, been holding up all right. Um, can't really complain all that much. Just kind of taking things day by day. Um, and uh, looking forward soon to better weather so that can actually get out and start doing things again. You know, I feel like one thing about the winter is uh, kind of, uh, keeps you kind of pulled up inside a little bit more than you'd like. And that tends to get a little frustrating, especially after last year where we spent so much time, right. you know, just indoors by ourselves and, um, you know, looking forward to uh, some nicer weather and, you know, some more to do, hopefully. I agree with you on that. One of the things people had said for a long time is uh, when the weather was nice, they were saying, wait till the weather gets bad and what it's going to be like staying inside during that time. And it's tough. And where we live in the country, I think pretty much all of the country except for Florida has been dealing with just horrendous, horrendous weather. Uh, mm -hmm. Feel bad for everyone in Texas. Just stay safe, everyone. The news stories yeah. out of Texas are quite yeah, upsetting. Yeah, it's crazy. Mm -hmm. uh, but it is tough. And what have you been listening to music-wise, Dan? I've been um, really entrenched in the 60s. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I, don't know, uh, I don't know why, but uh, just a lot of... Um, various 60s stuff um kind of stuck in the in the psychedelic era right now so a lot of Jimi hendrix experience and cream and um uh early dead and and uh, things like that so jefferson airplane so that's kind of been what's been uh you know playing for me um lately i learned something really interesting speaking of Jimi hendrix i have a desk calendar by rolling stone it's a rock trivia calendar each day you, you get a new question and today, literally today's question was, uh, when Jimmy, when Woodstock took place, the crowd was estimated to be around 400,000 people. Jimi Hendrix was the last performer at Woodstock. Approximately how many people remained in the audience when he took the stage? Do you know what the answer is? You know, off the top of my head, I can't give you the number. I want to say it was probably less than half. You are correct. It was 25,000 approximately. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And I was surprised. I yeah, I've read stuff like that. You know, he came on Monday morning, right? Um, because things were so, um, so far pushed back uh, because of the rain um, and and uh, the the stops that they had to have in the show because of that. And he also um, was not. You know, this was his first outing without the uh, the experience. You know, there was no more Jimi Hendrix experience at this point. Um, Noel Redding had left. 
Uh, and he kind of, he was tired of the experience anyway. So he was kind of moving in a new direction. And his band was really almost a pickup band. Uh, he, he referred to them as uh, Gypsy Sun and Rainbows. Um, and uh, it was kind of different than what he'd done before. He still had Mitch Mitchell on drums, who was the drummer in the experience. But right. there was uh, a rhythm guitar player. Uh, he had Billy Cox on bass, who would, you know, later play on the Band of Gypsies album and then play on a lot of the tracks along with Mitch Mitchell that was released posthumously in all of these different collections that have come out. Um, there was a conga player. Um, so it was a different arrangement. And there was a lot of kind of almost like loose jamming. So mm -hmm. um, it was an interesting type of performance. So for some people, that was the departing music and others stayed around and and watched uh, uh, but we all know, you know, his Woodstock performance for the uh, rendition of the national anthem that he did. It's memorable. It stands out. And mm -hmm. uh, I would like to get more into Hendrix. I certainly have listened to Jimi Hendrix a lot, but more so on the greatest hits perspective. I've never really delved into mm -hmm. his individual albums, even though I know some are considered to be among the greatest in rock and roll history. Yeah. Um, one other question, Dan, real quick, I wanted to ask you before we begin to get into these individual Beatles albums. Something really interesting with the Beatles and uh, the Rolling Stones and a, actually quite a number of other artists, Taylor Swift, Jonas Brothers recently, they're releasing on New Music Fridays, digitally, not physically, EPs. So for the Beatles, for example, almost every single Friday for the past few weeks, there will be an EP release, digital only, themed around a particular topic. So one that came out maybe last week or the week before, I think it was called All About the Girl, and the songs were five or six love songs. Uh, right. And they had workout playlists, study songs playlists, which tended to be instrumental tracks from some of the deluxe releases. Mm -hmm. the, it's interesting because all these songs are available to us, but one of the things I've gotten a kick out of is listening to these collections because hearing the songs presented in this new way in this new order it kind of is a lot it's fun just like the rolling stones for example around halloween they released a halloween ep they have a country music ep it's really cool mm -hmm. have you yeah. seen this and what do you think of it I, I mean i think it's a cool concept um you know i like to make a lot of uh playlists you know when i when when we were younger and in, in, in middle school and high school i was you know one of those uh, mixtape people you you were um, yeah, so I like to, you know, put the mixtape together and uh, I like how, you know, iTunes allows you to do this with the playlist. So I, I kind of like trying to put together different playlists and thematic playlists and stuff like that. So that kind of it's interesting to see what other people put together um, and then kind of compare it to like, oh, what would I put together in that if I were to, to, to do something like that? Right. So it's pretty cool. Um, and you and it, it helps you realize certain other things about uh you know, the artists and the music and uh, that maybe you didn't realize before, you know, like, right. uh, like the Stones have, you know, it's funny you said the Halloween playlist for the Stones, because th there are a number of sinister sounding Stone songs, you for know, for sure. Mm -hmm. And last question, so as you know, Dan, you, you're the one that got me into the Beatles. So I look to you for music guidance. You're my music guru. <laughs> so <laughs> um, out of curiosity, you mentioned you, you make a lot of playlists. Do you find that when it comes to the Beatles, you spend more time recently listening to playlists or the albums? Um, I feel like recently I've spent more time listening to, well, that's a tough question. 
because generally I'm listening to playlists, mm -hmm. but I feel like as these new releases of albums have come out, I spent a lot of time like listening to and digesting right. certain albums. Like when and, the White Album reissue, you really right. spent the time, Abbey Road and so forth. Right, right. And I have, um, you know, seasonal Beatles albums too. You know, it's kind of funny. Um, for some reason during like this time of the winter, uh, I get very into listening to Abbey Road and Let It Be a lot. Um, I think because, uh, you know, partly because I feel like Let It Be is a winter album. It's, it, it's a little, um, you know, kind of bleak in a way, if that sure. <laughs> makes any sense. Well, it's and one then of the with, albums at the end, like Abbey Road is. Yeah, yeah. Where Abbey Road is kind of like, you know, as it gives you hope that, you know, it's going to, it's not going to be winter for too long. Right. You know, the spring is coming. Um, where uh, uh, Pepper is definitely like a late, like a late spring album for me. Like as soon for as sure. the weather starts to get nice and you can drive with the windows open, and that's like, that's like Pepper time, you know, for me. I um, agree. Yep. Well, on that note, my friend, let's get into our main discussion tonight. As I mentioned, we're going to be talking about the first album releases of each of the individual Beatles, and we're going to do this in chronological order. And the first album to come out, solo Beatles album, I should say, was by Ringo Starr. The album was Sentimental Journey. The release of the album was March 27th, 1970. Mm -hmm. So it's an album that is over 50 years old. Right. And it is a collection of standards. Great American mm -hmm. songbook type songs. And I believe Ringo was the first to do this from rock and roll. In other words, of course, you had albums with this type of music being released by Sinatra, mm -hmm. Tony Bennett, et cetera, et cetera. But he was the first rock and roller to do it. And that really started a trend, which ultimately made its way to Paul McCartney with the Kisses on the Bottom album release. But mm -hmm. Rod Stewart released a whole series of albums from this. Uh, Lady Gaga duetting with Tony Bennett. Uh, and and several others as well. So I, I want to, <laughs> I was thinking where the discussion would go on this particular album. I'm going to start with the most simple of questions to you. Do you like yeah. this album? Um, you know, I find it, I, I, I like it. It's not, you know, one thing, one thing to, to make a point of real quick, because I know that there's probably people that are, you know, listening and, 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 and kind of waiting to jump on this. Um, Yet the, we're, we're discussing the, the the first solo releases of the Beatles that are traditional rock or pop yes. music. Yes, elaborate uh, on that for I, a second, Dan, because that's important. Well, because I know that there's probably people listening there and are going, wait, but you know, George and John put out solo albums way before, um, and George and John did put out solo albums, but they were not in the in in the rock pop vein. They were largely experimental. So George yes. put out. Um, Wonderwall music, which was a soundtrack to a film. A lot of it is instrumental um, and experimental songs. He followed that with uh, electronic music, which is basically a record of his experiments with the Moog synthesizer. Um, and then John had the trio of records that he put out with Yoko, um, the Two Virgins record, mm -hmm. uh, Life with the Lions and the Wedding album which are really just avant-garde sound collages um, and not what you would call, um, you know, traditional music per se. Right. So R Ringo was the first one to release a solo album 
of what is, you know, traditional pop or rock music. He's the first one to do it. And um, actually, you know, he was he was pushed to put this album out um, by the other guys in the band. Um, they thought that even though he wasn't the strongest songwriter, he'd only really written, what, two songs for the group at this point. Um, yeah, uh, that would be Don't Pass Me By an Octopus's Don't Garden. Don't Pass Me By an Octopus's Garden. He, he yep. did get a songwriting credit on Flying, which they all did. And yep. did he and get a, What Goes On? Was that the other? What go, yeah, What Goes On was his other songwriting credit. Was that a songwriting credit with both Lennon John, and McCartney? or With Lennon, with Lennon and McCartney, too. Mm-hmm. And he, I think he's also got one for Dig It. I think Dig It was credited to all four of them off of Let It Be. Yes, that's correct. That's correct. Um, right. So which we only get that snippet of, but hopefully when they do the release coming up, we'll hear, you know, the full, uh, the full track. Oh yeah. But, um, yeah, but they had pushed him to, 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 to put out a solo record. Um, and, and then uh, the other inspiration came from his, his mother who told him that um, one, she liked his singing voice and, um, and two, that, um, you know, he could have maybe um, in another time been kind of like a crooner type of singer. Right. And so he got the idea of putting together a record of some of his mother's favorite songs um, from her era and thought, wouldn't it be cool if we did these songs with some of uh, some of the different some different arrangers of the time that could come in and, and arrange the track? So. You know, he's got songs um, arranged by Richard Perry, who would, I think, later go on to produce the Ringo album. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul does a uh, an arrangement of Stardust. Yes. Uh, Morris Gibb does an arrangement of Bye Bye Blackbird. Um, he's got Oliver Nelson, who um, is a, a jazz artist who uh, did one of my favorite jazz albums, Blues and the Abstract Truth. Quincy Jones arranges one. He's got George Martin, Elmer Bernstein. So... He's got a number of people that are that come in on this album and help him arrange um, these standards. And and I think you're right, Scott. I think this is one. Of, I think this is the first album we see of a rock artist doing right. the Great American Songbook, and it started a trend because later on, how many people, like you said, have gone on to do this? Rod Stewart, um, you know, so many. What? Two comments about this album. One, it is in need of a remastering. Yeah, it is in need of a remaster. I don't think it's been touched since it's, it was uh, put on CD, which was probably sometime in the late 80s, I'm going to say. Yeah, it sounds flat to me. Mm-hmm. And I think a remastering would serve it well. The second comment I wanted to make about this album is what I think works well on the album is Ringo's voice. You know, when you listen to Ringo sing, he doesn't have a Paul McCartney voice or a John Lennon voice. But his voice works well on the songs he sings, mm-hmm. whether it be Yellow Submarine with a little help of my friends and so forth. His voice works well on these standards. Yeah, it's it. His voice has a certain charm to it. That's that that's the word. Well, yes, to, to these to these songs, and also, you know, uh, he follows this up with Boku of Blues, which is which is country covers, right. which again fits his voice very well. And it's it's, um, you know, I think for a um, for a solo album, a first solo album, and even a soft, a sophomore solo album, from you know the drummer in a band who really wasn't a songwriter, maybe wasn't the strongest vocalist. Um, Ringo really took a look at where his strengths lie, right, and went with it, and you know 
I, I, I think he did a good job, you know, the, and, you know, the first two would lead into the big record, which was the third one, which was the Ringo album. The which, Ringo album, yeah. You know, yep. I wanted to ask you, Dan, I'm going to ask you this for each of the albums, and then I'll, I'll state the same thing. Can you give me, if you had to choose two, two of your favorite songs from the album? Um, well, I'd have to go with the title track first off. I think the arrangement of Sentimental, Sentimental Journey is really yeah. awesome, and I, and I really like Ringo's voice on it. Me too. Uh, you know, and uh, so that would be one. And um, I've always been fond of uh, Bye Bye Blackbird as a song. So um, I am partial to that track as well. Although um, the, to me, the quintessential rock version of that is the Joe Cocker version, which was on his first, uh, his first solo album uh, with a little help from my friends. Mm -hmm. well, it's funny how you have the Ringo connection there. That is true. I didn't think about that, but yes, you're right. Uh, mm -hmm. For me, I happen now that I'm looking at the track list. I actually really like a lot of the songs on the album. I'm, I'm a fan of the album. I don't love it, but I like it. <laughs> and uh, mm -hmm. my two favorite songs on the album, uh, the version of Stardust, which I think is really well, really mm -hmm. good. Um, that was arranged by Paul McCartney, like you mentioned. And it's interesting because my second song is the song Dream. And that was arranged oh, okay. by George Martin. Mm-hmm. Both of those are great songs, and I just happen to like Ringo's versions of them. Uh, but there's there's no track on the album where you're like, okay, I don't like that track. They all work well in that charming type way you spoke of. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's not, I mean, uh, it's a decent record. It's, it's not a horrible record. Right. Um, it's not a fantastic record. It's not going to blow anyone's mind. But it's a nice, charming, wistful record. And, you know, you could put it on and listen to it and just enjoy it. And that's, yes. you know, I, I think that's what we've come to um, expect from Ringo. hundred percent. And I guess, Dan, on that note, uh, why don't we turn to the next album, which was released chronologically, which was uh, McCartney, right? But that was the next one. Paul McCartney's McCartney. Yeah. McCartney was the next one. Um, there was a lot of, a uh, lot of like, drama over the release of these albums too right um because they were all released um sentimental journey mccartney and then let it be were released within the same time frame um and the beatles had not announced yet that they were disbanded uh, and i'm not sure if they were even in their minds um officially disbanded at this point you know john had left in september of 69 um quietly mm -hmm. shortly after the release of abbey road um they were still doing recordings on material for let it be um i mean they recorded uh i mean mine in i think early 1970 that was recorded with just ringo paul and george mm -hmm. um and paul had gone had been at home uh, recording this solo album secretly um, and I think as the story goes even booking time in some of the studios to mix and record further under pseudonyms so no one would know that he was he was doing this um, and then there was the battle over well what would be released when um, and you know there's a story of them trying to get Paul to delay the release of McCartney so that 
there wouldn't be so much competition amongst quote unquote Beatle records with Ringo Let It Be and um, and 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 McCartney coming out and the frustration over that and um, and then the whole issue with what Phil Spector did with the Long and Winding Road um, really is what motivated Paul to announce that he was leaving the group and, and what broke and, and that the group was breaking up and and the McCartney album is really the album that is it's the second solo release of traditional rock pop music by a Beatle but I, I feel like it's the first post breakup um, solo album because it really also represents new material whereas Ringo's album was more a set of covers yeah, I mean, this was new material. I mean, um, quote unquote new material because there's a lot of tracks on it. Right, that, that go back to the Beatles days. Go back right. to the Beatles days, date back to the White Album. But this was all new music. Um, this was, um, you know, the first, uh, I guess, individual statement by a Beatle, um, album wise, anyway, because John had put out, you know, a couple of singles prior to this, I believe. Yeah, he did. He put out Cold Turkey and he had put out right. um, Give Peace a Chance. But again, that was still, he was still within the the band at that time. And that was credited to Lennon McCartney, Give Peace a Chance. Give Peace a Chance, yeah, it was credited to Lennon McCartney as a favor um, for Paul helping him with, uh, with the Ballad of John and Yoko. Right, that's right. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting, Dan, because in all the periods of Beatles history, the one I find the most confusing to wrap my head around in terms of the facts and what happened when is the breakup period. I often find myself thinking, OK, what happened next? Did this happen? And even really, you know, I've been asked by some non-Beatles fans to tell me to explain to them why did the Beatles break up? There's always this assumption that it's Yoko when it's really not. There's so many more reasons. Um, and it's very hard for me to adequately explain but I agree with something you said earlier. I don't think that when McCartney really came out, the band was in an official breakup posture. And along those lines, I have here on my computer screen the text of the press kit that came out with the McCartney album, which was sent mm-hmm. to the UK press on April 8th, 1970. I'm, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it's a very short to the point thing. Let me just read you a couple of the questions and answers. Did you miss the other Beatles and George Martin? Was there a moment when you thought, wish Ringo was here for this break? No. Are you planning a new album or single with the Beatles? No. Have you any plans for live appearances? No. Is your break with from the Beatles temporary or permanent due to personal differences or musical ones? Personal differences, business differences, musical differences, but most of the but most of all, because I have a better time with my family. Temporary or permanent? I don't know. I mean, these are very dramatic answers. And uh, it's, 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 just, it's fascinating. It's actually really just fascinating. Um, when it comes to the album McCartney, we talked a little bit about it on our McCartney 3 episode uh, recently. First off, let me begin by saying it has one of the most famous classic rock standards, and maybe I'm amazed. Mm-hmm. That is towards the end of the album. It's a masterpiece of a song. It is beautiful melodically and lyrically. It's powerful. It works well in the studio. It works well live. It's just what the album, I think, is best known for. But besides that song, you have several other tracks which are, to me, real McCartney standards. Every Night, 
is classic McCartney. It's a song that he brought back out during, I guess, his 2002 tour when he reemerged yeah. onto the touring scene. Um, Teddy Boy, which is, goes back to the Beatles days. Junk, same thing. That goes back to the White Album period, I guess. Right, Dan? Is that uh, yeah. Junk? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, Junk is written in India. It's written in India, right. Mm-hmm. And there's some real experimental stuff on there, several instrumental tracks, which I happen to really like. Kriya Kore, which is the last track on the album, largely drum-based. Certainly not my favorite. Um, we've, joked, we've joked a lot about Kriya Kore. We have. We have. Um, but uh, I do really like this album. Uh, Dan, what, what's your take on McCartney? I've always loved McCartney for the um, homespun quality of it. Um, it's a do-it-yourself record. I right. mean, it's, it's, it's basically Paul um, on all the instruments. The only other person who's on any of the tracks is Linda doing some backing vocals. Right. Um, but I, I've always loved the fact that, um, you know, Paul always talked about his, his apprehension of going it alone was whether he could do it without the Beatles, without the band. And this album is, you know, him doing it all by himself. Yes. Um, and there's some there's some great tracks on it. You know, there's some really enjoyable tracks. Um, I mean, I feel like any album that you could pull maybe five tracks out that you could say are solid tracks or good tracks. Sure. Um, you know, says a lot about that record. And for this record, I mean, there's maybe I'm amazed. There's every night there's Teddy boy. There's, there's junk. Um, I even like, you know, um, that would be something. Yeah. Um, man, we was lonely. Um, Ooh, you, uh, to me, those are all great tracks. Um, maybe not complete tracks. Um, I feel like there's probably a lot more that Paul could have done with these tracks in a band setting or, um, but, uh, but they're, I, I feel like they're, they're great tracks. And, uh, one of my favorite instrumentals on the um, on the record is uh, the the hottest sun. Yeah, that's um, one of my glass, favorites too. Yeah, with the glasses tag on it, um, and then a little snippet. It ends with like a little snippet from uh, "Suicide," which was an unreleased right um, Paul track. It wasn't released until they did the, um, I guess, the anniversary version of yeah McCartney. And it's a great song. I love that track. It's a very mm-hmm. uh, he wrote that for Sinatra. Yeah. The, uh, and it's interesting, Dan, because there seems to be a contrast with that press kit that I just read you some samples of. That's As we mentioned, that's a very serious, terse, to the point document. You would think maybe some of that heaviness, for lack of a better word, would carry over to the album. But yet, it, the album to me has a very light and airy feel from the opening short beauty of the song Lovely Linda to tracks like Every Night. Even Junk is a breezy sitting on the porch, strumming the guitar type song. It's a very relaxing and enjoyable album, which mm-hmm. maybe if you get really into it, served as a contrast to the supposed tensions that it's always been our, under, our understanding existed during the Let It Be recording period. Yeah. Um, I know Paul, you know, has talked in interviews about previously to this, how he entered like this, this brief period of just, um, being depressed and drinking and not wanting to get out of bed and right um, and then you know his, being prodded by Linda to you know pull it together um, and then some other things that were happening within the whole Beatle 
contentious period kind of loosening up a bit um got him out of his rut and back in the studio and back working and this album is the is the 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 fruit of those labors so it's almost like um this is his escape from that bleak period mm-hmm. um but you know what it's it, it's funny when we talk about um that timeline of the breakup that's also for me probably been the period of the group's history that gets a little muddled mm-hmm. and you have to go and kind of figure out like what happened when and what led to it and like you said yoko gets a lot of crap for it but uh i feel like really if you wanted to single out one person to be like if you can name one person who's responsible for the breakup of the beatles um and and there's not just one person there's a lot of um a lot of different things that were going on, but Alan Klein plays a big part yes. in, in the breakup of the band. Alan Klein was the person that ultimately became the manager of the group mm-hmm. towards the end, but not with Paul's approval with really John George and Ringo's go right, ahead. Which, yeah. And, uh, and probably one of the, one of the smartest things Paul ever did was um, he never signed with Alan Klein. Right. Um, so when a lot of the, uh, a lot of things went down later on with Klein and um, Paul was really free of a lot of that drama. That's true. He was true. able to operate outside of it. So um, that was really a, a brilliant move on his part, not to, not to buy in and go with Klein. Um, but that was one of, you know, John had this thing where he would, um, meet someone and kind of invest in them and when he invested in them he would go all in right and you couldn't talk to him about you know well maybe you shouldn't be involved with this person um and there's a story of you know after he and yoko met klein and they were getting really high on on alan klein bringing him in and um he had reached out to lennon had reached out to Mick jagger because alan klein had been the stones manager and Jagger told him, like, you don't want to get involved with Alan Klein. Right. You know, like, we're, we're just getting out of our involvement with him and what that caused us. And you don't want to get out, get involved uh, with, with him. This is what's going to happen down the line. And Lennon didn't listen because Lennon was high on him, you know. And, and mm-hmm. he had this habit of doing it with like, people like uh, Magic Alex and, sure. you know just he would get high on them and he would he would go all in and then he would pull other people in because he was very forceful with that he pulled john and, and, and ringo uh george and ringo in and then in the end it ended up you know biting them and when klein came in he really was very active in firing apple employees seemed to want to trim a lot of costs but without any concern or regard for what made the company work well it seemed just to mm-hmm. be cutting costs left and right without a larger, broader goal in mind and brought no sense of fiscal responsibility to his management of the Beatles. That's always been my understanding based on mm-hmm. what I've read. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Dan, what are your two go-to tracks on the McCartney album? Two. Uh, it's tough. Uh, I know. Don't say Trina Corey, but you can if you want. <laughs> No, 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 no. If I had to narrow it down to two, it would be uh, maybe I'm amazed in every night. Yes, I would probably choose the same ones with the one exception is, you know, sometimes songs by the Beatles are and the solo Beatles are 
such a part of radio airplay. I mm-hmm. kind of gravitate to other tracks. I may not take maybe I'm amazed there and may go to junk. I love junk. Um, probably because I don't hear it as often. So our next album in this chronological order is an epic album. George Harrison's All Things Must Pass. Now, Dan, this album is going to be reissued in 2021 in a remixed version. We don't have any major details yet on this release, but we know it's coming out. And the track, as we've ta- you and I have talked about on a pre- previous episode, the title track, All Things Must Pass, was released already in a remixed version. It sounds great. So when that re- release comes out, I want to do a full episode devoted just to all things must pass because it does deserve its own episode. But let me begin this part of our discussion tonight by saying that all things must pass is considered by many people to be the best post Beatles album by any individual member of the group. It is a massive album with a whole section of instrumental tracks, jam songs, and so forth. And it's really, it's a massive album. I went and re-listened to it not too long ago. It's almost so much to wrap your head around. It's it's still, no matter how many times I hear it, I'm overwhelmed by it. Uh, let me begin by asking you this, Dan. In George Harrison's catalog, is it your favorite album by him? Because I'll tell you, it's not for me. I love it, but it's not my favorite George album. But is it yours? Um, you know, oddly... Um, it's, it's, it's not, um, I, it's my second favorite George album. Um, and I think, I think I agree that it's probably the best Beatles, um, solo release, um, probably out of all of them, uh, with, uh, with band on the run, probably being number two, I would say, um, I, I really kind of like cloud nine. Is that your favorite George album? I, I, I think so. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I don't know. That's that's just me. I think that's also probably a, a, a there's some nostalgia factor to that, too. For sure. Because um, I definitely remember um, when it came out and being young and, and hearing it. So, um, but yeah, I have a soft spot for Cloud Nine. Can you guess what my favorite George solo album is? I want to see if you could guess it. Your favorite George solo album? Um, I'm going to say the, the, the self-titled from 79 close, but not, not, that's not it. 33 and a third. Really? Oh, okay. All right. It was, it was one or the other. So. I love them. I, I really like almost all of them. I even like gone Tropo, which or Tropa, however you say. <laughs> yeah, it's not, that's not bad actually. It's, it's, you know, has its, it's, it's, uh, it's winning points. All Things Must Pass, the album, is it's George Harrison and a Phil Spector version. Phil Spector was the producer of the album. It does have a true wall of sound type feel to it. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's very interesting, Dan, because recently, I guess after Phil Spector died, there were a bunch of Beatles podcasts talking about his work with the band. And I forget where it was, but on one of those podcasts, I remember hearing someone say that it's almost like I, I, I may be saying this incorrectly, but the tracks have a lot going on. You have guitar, bass, drums, horns, dramatic type sound, but it almost feels constrained. It almost feels 
locked in, like it wants to burst out even more. And and I know that may not be the most eloquent way of saying it, but it's kind of the impression I get on some of the songs on the album. I I don't necessarily love some of the dynamics on the album, the the audio dynamics on it. Does that make any Uh, sense to you? It it makes total sense to me. I've I've often felt like, um, you know, I I tend to like to make creative analogies. Uh, so to me, it almost feels like I, I've made the analogy before that it almost feels like it was recorded in a closet. Perfect. I love, I mean, that sums it up perfectly. Um, because it's just so cluttered and tight and constrained. Right. Um, and the thing that always annoyed me about that is that, uh, I mean, as far as artists in the studio, you know, backing bands go. I mean, for all intents and purposes, George's backing band on a lot of this album is what would become Derek and the Dominoes. Mm-hmm. You know, Derek Clapton and Carl Rattle and Bobby Whitlock. And um, and then, you know, drumming is, you know, kind of a Jim Gordon, Ringo Starr, um, Jim Keltner, you know, combination throughout most of the album. It's a very, very solid, solid backing band. Um and then he has other guests on it. Um, you know, the, the guys from Badfinger, mm-hmm. um, Klaus Vorman, Klaus Vorman, uh, Dave Mason, um, a, a, uh, young uncredited Phil Collins. Um, but there's a, uh, there's a lot of, a uh, lot of strong musical performances on it. And there's, there's a lot of it that gets buried in the production, um, that I wish we heard more of. And I think that was one of the things that I really enjoyed about the the new um, remix of the title track because you can hear more of it, and um, and it was it was just so refreshing to be able to hear that. And I would love to hear, uh, I mean, Wawa to me and What Is Life is prob are probably the two that feel the most constrained. Yeah. Like we're losing something from the production of that. Um, and in the last verse of What Is Life, there's. Um, some nice little solo guitar licks uh, in the last verse, uh, probably either played by George or, or Eric Clapton. You could barely hear it. And Dan, I'm sorry, you said that was in, in what is life? Is that? Yeah. These, these, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you could really barely hear it um, because of all the other stuff that's going on. Um, and I, and you know, I feel, I think George uh, in clips of the um, living in the material world, documentary said that there's aspects of the album that he wishes that production wasn't wasn't mm-hmm. there um that you could hear more of what was actually going on so very very much looking forward to that re-release but the production aside i mean all things must pass um is the result of a um, songwriter who had to Contend with probably, in my mind, there's no argument, but we could say arguably the, the two greatest rock songwriters ever uh, being in the same band. Fact. And, yeah, fact. And, um, and only being allowed maybe one or two tracks on an album. Mm-hmm. Um, I think with the exception of maybe of the White Album for sure and um, maybe Revolver, um, he really, you know, no more than maybe one track and having this backlog of songs that he had really been recording since 65, 66. 
um, and some of them date back that long, that he was doing nothing with. And so this was his opportunity to take all of that and put it out there and showing the world that he was just as solid a songwriter and performer as his bandmates. And I think he does a good job. Um, you know, one of the taglines in a, in, in, in a review of the album um, when it came out was the quiet Beatle has a lot to say. <laughs> and um, and he, re he really did on All Things Must Pass. There is, I think, a consensus among people who are a fan, who are fans of All Things Must Pass that the jam session towards the end is, for lack of a better word, disposable. That's my take mm -hmm. on it. I really very rarely listen to that part of the album. It just doesn't. I have listened to it. I just don't don't go to it now. Yeah, the, it's not. It's, yeah, it, it's not um, integral to the album. No. It's like supplementary, not not the core of the album. Exactly. And, you know, Dan, one of the things about being a Beatles fan in 2021, which is good, is that we're getting these remasters and remixes. And that's mm -hmm. very welcome. I think now we're so used to them that, for me at least, I, I, I'm never really amazed by the sound. There are some things where I could say, yeah, this is really cool and I like this. But... When I heard the remixed All Things Must Pass that came out, the, the song All Things Must Pass, it truly made me stop in my tracks with a big smile on my face because it is, like you said a moment ago, the song kind of let loose. It flows in a way that the previous versions don't. And not right. only do you hear a more pronounced and beautiful George vocal, but it just complements the instrumentation on the track really well, even if the instrumentation is not as pronounced as it was on previous releases. The, um, the album is epic. And I, I think it's fair to say is the most epic album of any Beatle post-breakup because mm -hmm. you have on there a song which opens up the album, which is I'd Have You Anytime, which I think Harrison co-wrote with Bob Dylan, correct? Yeah, correct. And that is a beautiful love song. I, I'm a fan of that track. And then you go, you talk about one of the most famous songs from the album, My Sweet Lord. So you have these acoustic guitar driven songs, but then you get these rockers like Wawa, What Is Life, Let It Down. Um, I, I, I'm not going to go through the whole track list now, but there's a mix. And then you get a song like Isn't It a Pity, which is epic in nature. This Just that track alone. I, I remember... When I hear it, I think to myself, man, this is totally engrossing, totally mesmerizing and very Beatleish to me. Isn't it a pity? Always struck me as very, very Beatleish, even down to the na 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 na. Isn't it a pity at the end? I mean, that's yeah. as Beatleish mm -hmm. as it gets. Yeah. And, and very purposeful. You know, very purposeful. Right. Uh, I Dan, mean, we're leaving uh, out Billy Preston, too. Neither one of us mentioned Billy Preston and his contributions of, to the album. Yeah, that's true. None of us mentioned Billy Preston. Um, and, I mean, Billy Preston um, inspired My Sweet Lord, you know, mm -hmm. having that um, that soul R&B gospel yeah. background. Um, and Billy Preston, I think, is a, is, um, a fixture in, in George's solo career, along with uh, Jim Keltner um, yes. and, and Ringo. Um, on a lot of the albums, uh, Clapton as well. I think the only albums Clapton doesn't really do much in is uh, 
is a dark horse and um and 33 and a third right uh, uh because of you know wife drama <laughs> google that one if you want an interesting story in rock and roll history yep <laughs> and we're, we're going to be talking more as i mentioned about all things must pass when this reissue does come out but if you had to choose two songs on the album where, okay, you have 10 minutes to listen to a couple tracks before you head out the door. What songs do you go to? Um, I'm really interested to hear your selections for this. I really love a waiting on you all. I did not expect that. And it's a great track. Mm-hmm. I really love a waiting you on you all. It's um, one of my favorites. Uh, it's just, lyrically for me um represents that part of george that uh was a little you know i feel like george was more trying to think of the right way to phrase this i feel like when like george spoke out about things that he saw as um being things going on in the world that needed to be addressed, that needed to be dealt with, that needed to be changed. Um, trying to open people's eyes to the truth about things. And I think he did it way better than John in a lot of ways. Um, one, because I feel like it was, it was coming from a more genuine place, not saying that John didn't feel that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like John was also very, um, didn't always live the way you know, live the life that he espoused or live the values that he espoused always. Right. Um, where I feel like to George, that was very, that was something that he struggled to do throughout his life. And, and, and those were values that were important to him. So there's, there's a genuineness about it, but as well, he also, you know, that cynical wit of George Harrison, um, that comes out, you know, he, I feel like he was able to shed light on something in such a way where um, if you didn't agree with him, uh, he made you feel a little um, silly or foolish for Mm -hmm. not seeing things that way. And that comes across in, in the lyrics to uh, a waiting on you all, especially, you know, that I I love the the Pope owns 51% of general motors Right. And the stock exchange is the only thing he's qualified to quote us. I mean, that's a favorite, uh, favorite line for me. Classic uh, George line. Cla- classic George line. And, um, you know, it's, it's a uh, very lapsed Catholic. I, 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 I enjoy it. Um, and, and then, you got- then if I had to pick another one, that's, that's, that's tough. Cause there's so many, um, but I'd have to say maybe beware of darkness. Uh, then it's very interesting you say that because that is a song which is great and has recently, I think, taken on a level of greater respect among the general population. I'm not talking about the ultra fans like you and me, but it's it's caught on. Um, yeah, I know people who are more casual Beatles fans that have said to me, hey, you know what song I really like? Beware of Darkness. Mm-hmm. Why do you like that? Why is that one of your go-tos? Um, again, just... Uh... I feel like the, the, the musical performance is great, but the lyrics as well, mm, um, right. you know, um, just uh, some great words in there, you know, beware of soft shoe shufflers. Was, uh, 
is uh, is is one of my favorite lines in that song. And it's just, you know, um, great lyrics, a great message and very well delivered. Uh, but it's so hard with All Things Must Pass to pick yeah. just two. I think there's such, such so many great tracks on it. Um, I think George does the best version of um, If Not For You. Yes. Um, I, you know, there's been many recorded, but I think his version on this album is is probably the best. Love the guitar on that track. Yes. Yep. We, we My, get to hear George's mm-hmm. uh George's slide, um, really for the first time. Um, I feel like in this album, I don't think we've heard we heard the slide as much. No. Prior to this. Next time I listen to it, I'm going to be paying attention for the slide guitar because I. Mm-hmm. You know, if I had to choose two tracks, like you said, Dan, it's so hard. Uh, one of the songs would be the title track, All Things Must Pass, which I think, and you know, it's interesting. We talk about nostalgia when it comes to Beatles. I remember kind of getting into this album around the time that you and I graduated high school. And even though the song and the words, All Things Must Pass, to me relate more to concepts of life and death, it's not just that. And I remember thinking to myself as we were getting to re- getting ready to graduate, and I was sad to be leaving my friends and going off to college, that it's sort of, uh, that's what happens. You know, that's, you can't stay in one place forever. All things, whether mm-hmm. it's a season, a period of your life, they all pass on to something else. Um, all Things Must Pass is a beautiful song. Melodically, extremely, it's, it's a song that envelops you. And wraps you in and lyrically it's a song which everybody can latch on to uh, i'll just note also with this song that one of my favorite paul mccartney live performances is when he sang this song all things must pass at the concert for george after george harrison passed it's just such an epic version i are you i know you're familiar with that version dan are you a fan of that yes. mccartney version i am yeah i am mm-hmm. uh, and my second song that's my go-to from all things must pass is let it down which I love. And you know me, Dan, I'm a sucker for, for good melodies mm-hmm. and all things, um, let it down the song. It starts sort of like out of an action movie. You get this loud orchestra. There's it's right from the start of the song. It's this driving force, which is not the way songs normally start. And then out of nowhere, it goes into this love song type melody and it's got strings and it's just, and that's what I love about it. That's my favorite thing about the song is the combination of heavy, soft, heavy, soft with this wonderful yeah. melody. And that's why I love Let It Down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's got that that almost hard rock intro. Yes. And then it goes into the the softer verse and then the uh, harder chorus, um, which, which became, uh, you know, we're not going to give George credit for this because, you know, uh, that might people might say that's reaching, but that became kind of the um, later on in the eighties. That became the 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 Pixies um, kind of uh, template for writing a song. That that mm-hmm. that uh, soft, loud, soft, um, and then that was picked up by Nirvana. You know, yeah. the soft, soft verse, loud chorus. Um, and you hear that on Let It Down. That's, uh, I'm not going to say it's the first place you, you hear it, but it's it, it stands out. Yeah, and as you mentioned that, Dan, about Nirvana, in my mind, I thought to Come As You Are, 
where you have this mm-hmm. melody that goes to something heavy. And I thought all apologies, same type yeah. of thing. Mm-hmm. Nirvana was great, by the way. How great was Nirvana? Nirvana was great. Yeah, we were very lucky. I think I feel like we had the we had the last musical revolution kind of in our uh, that's true teen years. That is know. true. Um. Dan, anything else to say about all things must pass before we turn to Plastic Ono, Ben? There is so much to say, but um, <laughs> but but like you said, I think uh, we know that coming down the pike, there's going to be a, a reissue, and we know that there's going to be a uh, an episode that we're going to do on that where we'll say right everything else that needs to be said about all things. And, must and pass. we'll get into the the actual remix tracks. Uh, tonight yep. is more of a, uh, a like a bite size. It's like you go to a uh, you go to a brewery and you get the uh, what do they the call flight. it? The flight. The you flight. The flight. This is a flight episode where we just give you samples of these things. And and speaking of reissues, Plastic Ono Band is going to be reissued this year. As we are recording this in February 2021, we know that on a particular date in March, they announced they're going. It's an announcement of an announcement. They an announced announcement. it on this date. They're going to be announcing it. And Dan, I don't know if you saw this, but I guess it was on Valentine's Day. They released on YouTube, the official John Lennon YouTube channel about a three or four minute video about the song love in which they mm-hmm. played multiple different versions of the song love and that are going to be on this plastic going band reissue. And there was video and photos on the screen and text on the screen quotes by John and Yoko about their relationship. Did you see that? I haven't seen that yet. No. Check it out. It's I, I watched it and I was actually eating lunch while I watched it and I stopped eating lunch and I gave my full attention to it. It was a very emotional video. In some ways, I actually found it at times to be a little bit difficult to watch, mm-hmm. but it's a beautiful video. And um, the, they uh, indicated, I think, if I recall correctly, that the reissue is going to be in April 2021. So like all things must pass, we're going to be talking about the reissue on an upcoming episode. But Plastic Ono Band is, again, there's a lot to say about this album. It's epic, like all things must pass, is not in terms of the number of songs on the album, but certainly in the emotional weight of the album. Uh, it's an album which has at least part of its roots in what John was doing at the time, which was engaging in Arthur Janov's primal scream therapy as a method of therapy. And that carries over onto the songs on the album. Yet, as is often the case when it comes to the Beatles, you have these emotionally powerful songs wrapped in these gorgeous melodies. And let me begin our discussion on this album, Dan, by asking you, what was your initial impression of Plastic Ono Band when you first heard this release? Um, it was probably similar to the first impression of a lot of people that heard it when it came out where it's very jarring um, because the last time you hear you know music from John uh, it's as a Beatle mm-hmm. um, it's it's on Abbey Road and Let It Be um, you get a hint of what is fully explored on this album in the outro to Cold Turkey, where John was trying was starting to explore um, 
Yoko's approach to uh, vocalizing. We're using letting the voice kind of go and and the screaming and um, which I think mixed with the primal scream therapy kind of uh, was brought to a fuller fruition on 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 this record. But it's it's a very different record from a Beatle. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's stripped. It's stark. Um, it has its moments um, where there's some there's harmony and, and the melodies. Um, I think you get that more on Imagine. Imagine is definitely like more of a sugar-coated Plastic Ono band. True. Um, but it's an emotional experience. Um, it, yes. It's a record that can be, honestly, if you listen to it from front to back, um, can be ex- an exhausting experience. And it's incredibly personal. Um, you know, you're being kind of dragged into um, John's psyche mm-hmm. um, and, and being, realizing what, how scarred he actually was. Um, so it's, it, it's, it's a tough experience, but it's an incredible album. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it, it really, um, has a legacy, um, in music that, um, you know, developed through the rest of the seventies and eighties. I think, I think we hear some of, um, Plastic Ono Band in, 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 a, in a lot of punk music, um, and in grunge, um, in the music of, of, of uh, bands like um, Sonic Youth, um, you know, th- there's definitely a legacy for this album. It's interesting, Dan, listening to what you've just said now, because one thing it makes me think is that prior to the album's release, I think it's fair to say that it was rare for rock musicians to let the listener in to their emotional core, what mm-hmm. they themselves were feeling. In Plastic Ono Band, John is opening up to the listener with his thoughts and feelings on so many things. It, from a lyrical perspective, is so intimate that mm-hmm. you almost feel like, maybe I shouldn't be listening to this. This is something mm-hmm. private. And you feel guilty for listening to some of it, but the reason it translates so well to the listener is because it's John Lennon and you're dealing mm-hmm. with one of the most gifted songwriters in history. So you take a track like mother, for example, which I guess is the opening track on the album about John's mother, Julia, who he was reestablishing a relationship with when, uh, as a teenager, when she was tragically killed. It, uh, lyrically it's, it's difficult to listen to, but it's a, it's from from a melodic perspective it's a very pretty song with unique instrumentation that i think it, it grabs you as a listener another example okay. isolation which is a song on the album which is certainly applicable to 2021 Sean Lennon actually performed it i guess on uh Stephen Colbert show not long ago during the pandemic lyrically it's right in line with what we're dealing with and it's a raw song. It's a powerful song lyrically, but it's just so catchy that it makes mm-hmm. the experience 
listenable. I guess the most ear candy type song on the album is Hold On. Mm-hmm. And I do love that song. Uh, but a track like God is such a powerful statement on uh, religion and the breakup of the Beatles. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a raw album. It, it's yeah. a raw album. His screams on Mother. His um, trying to in my mind. I'm kind of kind of go. I don't have the track listing in front of me. I'm kind of playing it out of my mind. But uh, I found out right. That's on that album. I found out. I I found out is on that album. Yeah. Um. Well. 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 Well, 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 which is probably one of my least favorite songs on the album, but mm-hmm. it's chaotic. Well, well, well is a chaotic song. And that also is in line with what Plastic Ono Band is all about, because in a way, John is telling us like his life is chaotic. It's a very heavy album. It's it's an enjoyable album to listen to, but it's not like you mentioned with Imagine where poppy for the masses type thing. Right. Mm hmm. Yeah, imagine you have a lot more. Um, there's a lot more of that softer side of John. I mean, imagine you get Jealous Guy, um, How, um, um, Oh My Love, the you know the title track. That mm-hmm. you don't have a lot of that um, on Plastic Ono Band. I mean, the closest you get is Love. Um, right. Like you said, Hold On is a softer um, song, um, a sweeter song. Um, the I think the, the most beatly you get is the, um, I think it's the, it's not the chorus, but it's the middle eight of Remember, mm-hmm. uh, where he duets with himself. Right. And it, it's, you get that, that harmony vocal coming, and it's the closest thing you have to a little like Beatle moment on the record. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's performed by a trio. It's just John, um, Klaus Vorman and Ringo through most of the record. Um, Billy Preston joins on piano for God. Um, and Phil Spector plays piano on love, but it's a very just stripped record. Um, one of the first records where John actually, um, sings dry without any reverb or double tracking on his voice. And it stands um, out. Some of the tracks and it stands out. Yeah. Um, yeah it, it's a very, it's a very heavy album. And Dan, when you mentioned it's a trio, John with a trio, that got me thinking that each of the albums we're talking about tonight is so different. Ringo has got the big band, great American songbook mm-hmm. standards stuff. Paul's got the totally homegrown McCartney album. George has got the wall of sound-esque All Things Must Pass, this epic masterpiece. And then you have John with the sparse Plastic Ono Band. They're all so distinct. It's really... Mm -hmm. And very... Yeah. Yeah, and very sparse for a trio. Because, you know, at this point in rock, when people thought of anything recorded by a trio, it was that power trio concept Mm -hmm. of like a, a Cream or a Jimi Hendrix experience where you had you know, that, that, um, that jamming instrumental factor to it, you know, where the guitarist would do these long solos and they'd kind of jam and, and, you know, Plastic Ono Band, there's no long solos. Um, there's actually very few solos in it. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, these three guys kind of hammering away at the songs and, um, there's no frills. 
Um, there's no bells and whistles. It's just, you know, John, uh, Klaus, and, and, and Ringo in the studio recording the song, and that's really all you're getting. Right. You know, there's no sweetener to it. If you were talking to someone who recently was getting into the music of John, post Beatles, and, you know, you would certainly recommend Plastic Ono Band album, but you'd almost have to give the cautionary words. You got to listen to this album, but beware, it's it's really heavy emotionally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Dan, what it's- are your two top tracks from the album? Uh, again, it's, it's difficult. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, God would be would be um, a top track from the album. Um, and then the other would be um, working class hero. Yeah, we and we we haven't mentioned that yet, but that it's a great song, but it's it's powerful, it's deep. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. I would probably choose working class hero as well. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, we've talked about Plastic Ono Man being a heavy album emotionally, and it is. I would probably choose Hold On, which is one of the lighter tracks on the album. I love the melody on the song. I love the instrumentation. I love the guitar sound on the track. There's something happy about the song and encouraging as well. You know, some of the, the lyrics like, it's going to be all right. I mean, that's very reassuring, especially at times like these. Um, mm-hmm. I, but, I, but I do like the album. I, I like every, every, all these four albums we've talked about tonight. I mean, I'm, am I correct in saying, Dan, you're a fan of all of them? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people speculate, what if the Beatles never broke up? What would be on their next album release? You could take some of the tracks from each of these albums and have a totally unique album. I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't, I think if the, I think if the Beatles never broke up and, and I actually, um, I've contemplated this a lot in recent years. Uh, I don't think we would have been able to, because a lot of people put together, like what would a Beatles album in 1970, 71 sound like? And take a little bit from Ringo, take a little bit from George, take a little bit from Paul and John. Um, I don't think we would have seen John and the band in 1970 till maybe about 74, 75. Uh, I think we would have seen John doing this and as a solo artist and the band continuing as um, as as George, Paul and Ringo. And I think we would have seen if that in an alternate reality, if that were to happen, um, George step in and kind of take John's place and um, would have seen a lot of George songs manifest as as Beatles recordings. Um, I think we probably would have seen John return like mid 70s mm-hmm. um, when he started to run out of steam. Uh, but um, yeah, I don't think we would have seen uh, from like 1970 to 74, 75, a um, Beatles recording with John as part of the group. So it's really interesting to speculate about. Really interesting. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, my last question for you, Dan, before we get to the wrap up part of our show. Um, out of the four albums we've mentioned tonight, which one is the one you go to the most? Um, it's all things must pass, really. Me too. I think that's fair to yeah. say. Mm-hmm. Although, it, that... because it's so epic, sometimes you don't necessarily have the time to go through the whole thing. So maybe McCartney is more 
Yeah, I think if I had to rank them, it would be All Things Must Pass, followed by McCartney, um, then Plastic Ono Band, and then and then uh, um, Sentimental Journey. Mm-hmm. And with that, Dan, let's turn now to uh, what we uh, always conclude the Stuff We Love podcast with, which is the Stuff We Love segment. Uh, this is the part of the show tonight where uh, Dan and I are going to be giving you a recommendation of anything, something we're enjoying right now, something that stands out to us. Uh, Dan, what is your Stuff We Love recommendation tonight? My Stuff We Love recommendation is a, is a music documentary. Um, you can find it on Netflix. Um, you might have to search for it a bit, but it's called The Other One. And uh, it is about uh, Bob Weir from The Grateful uh-huh. Dead. Mm-hmm. Um, focuses in on Bob Weir, um, his life, and his contribution to the dead, um, their music and their sound and their legacy. I was not aware of it, but mm-hmm. that's good to know. That's good to know. Yeah, I, I found it entirely by accident. I, it's one of those things where I was flipping through, um, looking for something to watch and uh, going through the documentaries and it popped up and I was like, oh, what, what is this? And um, read the, the little caption, turned it on and watched it. And I, I really, really enjoyed it, um, especially as a uh, as a guitar player um, yes. see getting to see what he brought to the band and his approach as a rhythm guitarist um, he's probably one of the most unique rhythm guitar players in um, in rock music because um, he tends to play the same chord in different inversions um, down the neck so he'll play like an e chord six different ways in one song um, and he explains how he got that approach just by listening to a lot of jazz um, and particularly uh, McCoy Tyner, who uh, was a jazz p- uh, pianist um, and how he would sit under the soloists mm-hmm. and accompany them. And he began to see himself, himself his job as um, doing that for Garcia you know, to, to, to sit under and provide that base for his soloing wherever that took them. Um, so it's a really interesting documentary. If you're a musician, if yeah. you like music, um, if you're a deadhead, it's a, it, it, it's a must. Um, so that's my, my stuff we love for today. Thank you, Dan, for that great recommendation. I'll mention two things real quick. One of them also is a Netflix documentary, a music documentary. Uh, (laughs) Dolly Parton, Here I Am is the name of the documentary. It's a 2019 film that basically is a very broad overview of Dolly Parton's career, focusing on several standout tracks from her catalog. And I learned a lot about her that I didn't know, which was really fascinating to see. Um, That was not going to be the stuff we love I was going to use, but when you mentioned the Netflix documentary that Bob Weir that kind of uh, stood out to me. The other thing I was going to mention is something I literally saw tonight, Dan, and I sent it to you as soon as I saw it. Uh, It was on Instagram. Brian Wilson's official Instagram account posted a picture of Barry Gibb and Barry has had, I don't know if you've heard this album, Dan. I think you have. We talked, I think we talked about it. Uh, Greenfields, Barry Gibb's recent release of songs he wrote done as duets with him and a series of country artists. And Brian Wilson said very complimentary words about Barry Gibb. He, he said, I really admire Barry Gibb. He talks about uh, meeting them in, at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction for the Bee Gees. Uh, he pre- Brian Wilson, I guess, presented them that night. He talked about being nervous when he met Barry Gibb. And Barry Gibb responded. And 
he said, I'm just going to read this. He says, you are the reason I'm living. You proved to me that you can do whatever you want to do with your voice. And all these years, I have just been following you and everything you do. If I'm King Kong, then you are Godzilla. That's in reference to uh, Brian Wilson saying that Barry is, uh, is like King Kong. Uh, thank you for such a wonderful compliment. We must connect and collaborate as soon as we can. I love you, pal. As I said, you're the reason. BG for Barry Gibb. And I love the BGs. I love the Beach Boys. Both groups have had a big impact on my life. And seeing that post and his response made me grateful for their music and their contributions. So my stuff we love really is that Instagram post and Barry by Brian Wilson and Barry Gibbs response. Um, Dan, for you and for me, you know, music fans, the impact that those guys have had on us is tremendous, not just in terms of what we like to listen to, but life in general. So I know you were, when, when I sent it to you, I texted you that and your response was, wow. And I couldn't say it any better myself. Yeah. That, that was really all that, that, <laughs> that could be said is uh, yeah. I, it's one of those things that you leaves you kind of speechless. Totally. So, totally. Uh, yeah. And, and, and can you imagine a, a Barry Gibb, Brian Wilson collaboration? I'll take it. And I yeah, remember sure. year, years ago, there was a beach boys documentary called endless harmony. Mm-hmm. It was really good. And uh, I remember certainly Morris, Morris Gibb was interviewed in it. And I think Robin and Barry may have been interviewed as well because the Beach Boys, uh, I think what Morris said is that uh, growing up in Australia, the Beach Boys harmonies really had an impact and Surfer Girl was a a major influence Mm -hmm. on them, which of course makes sense, harmonies and so forth. So um, yeah. on that note, my friend, I'm going to tell our listeners where they can find the Stuff We Love podcast online. You can visit us at our website, stuffwelovepodcast.podbean.com. You can write to us, stuffwelovepodcast at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at stuffwelovepod, Instagram, stuffwelovepodcast. We have a Facebook page, a YouTube channel, and so forth. Uh, If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us those good five-star reviews. It makes it easier for others to find the podcast as well. And you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Pandora, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Amazon, anywhere that podcasts are available, you can find the Stuff We Love podcast. And with that, uh, we thank you for tuning in. Go check out these albums if you are not familiar with them or if you are familiar with them, they're always worth re-listening to. And uh, I wish everyone uh, well and to stay safe. Uh, we'll go around the table one more time. I'm Scott. And I'm Dan. It's been great to be with you, my friend. As always. And this has been the Stuff We Love podcast.